0: Well, good morning. We're uh, glad that you're here with us today. If you're a guest with us, we want to especially warmly welcome you and let you know that uh, we're glad that you're here in worship this morning. It's a treat to have uh, the Milligan Women's Chorale with us here. And, uh, again, we're grateful for your presence here. And uh, I'm about to turn my back on you for about 30 minutes, so please don't be offended. If you've got a Bible with you, and uh, I hope you do, I'd like to invite you to open to Genesis 18. In the Bibles in the Pew Racks in front of you, it's on page 11. It's going to be important today to follow along in the Bibles that you may have in front of you. Um, because uh, your preacher today didn't get all of the, the scriptures to the AV people in time. So it's not going to be up front for you. You're going to need to follow along in your own uh, Bibles. There is space on the worship guide there for you to take some sermon notes. And then also for life group questions uh, later on this week or for you to use this for yourself, it's a way for us to practically apply what we're talking about today to our lives. Also, if you've got a smartphone, uh, you can follow along with the text in the YouVersion app. That is, uh, just search under live events for the YouVersion app. If you don't have any clue what that means, don't worry. Uh, just follow along on the paper. Uh, one other quick announcement along those lines. Uh, this is uh, this is in that whole realm of, of, tech nerd thing. You, you have a staff that is sort of a, a bunch of tech geeks. So that means, um, that you have to put up with things like this. We've just launched a, a free Android and iPhone app, uh, yesterday. Um, so if you have an iPhone or an Android OS, uh, for your smartphone, you can download the First Christian Church app and, uh, like us on Facebook, follow sermons and events and things like that, um. You can just search under First Christian Church, Greenville. Here at First Christian, I said this last week at the beginning of the sermon, and it's it's true. We believe in the power of the Word of God to feed and equip us, to feed and equip believers, to change hearts, to send us out with the truth of God's Word to a world that needs to know what it means to follow Jesus Christ. And so I quoted last week, and I want to run this by you again, that great verse 2 Timothy 3.16 teaches us that truth. And we're going to to sort of pray in the vein of that verse here in just a second as we open up the Word. It says that all Scripture is God-breathed, it's profitable, it's useful for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and it says for training in righteousness. It says it's, it's useful for the, for the purpose of training us in godliness. And, and that's why we're gathered here today. That's, that's why we're here every week, to, to worship and give praise to Almighty God and to have His Word feed us. So let's pray in that vein this morning. Father, we, we indeed ask that you would speak to us today through your Word. We implore you this morning to, to touch hearts and to shape minds through your Holy Spirit. Father, we ask that you would feed our thirsty souls with life-giving truth from your word. Train us and teach us. Like it says in 2 Timothy, Lord, make us competent, equipped for good works because of our time here together. In the name of Jesus and through the power of the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen. Now, I, I know that I'm not alone in feeling this, what I'm about to tell you. Uh, sometimes um, I feel this way, and I, and I think a lot of us do. I know that I'm alone in this. I, I think life would be a whole lot easier, at least I, I think this way about it. And I, and I know I feel this way about it, and I, and I bet you do too. Life would be a whole lot easier. If I knew beforehand, with crystal clarity, every detail of what God wants to do, if God would tell us how he was going to carry out his plans in our lives, and give us a little more detail, a little more exactness about what that looks like, that, that I kind of feel like life would be a whole lot easier. Uh, don't you often feel that way about your life? Uh, it would be a whole lot easier if God's plans were known to us more exactly. Because I don't know about you, but I want to know how to plan. I, I want to know how to over-plan. We have college students behind me, and I think I felt this way at that time. I remember being that age and feeling like, okay, Lord, if you could just show me now who I'm supposed to marry, what my job's supposed to be, where I'm supposed to live, all of those kinds of things that are open questions oftentimes for us at that time. I sort of feel like, okay, Lord, if you could just show me now, it'd be really helpful. If you could just dial me in. On all of those details, that'd be great, Lord. Thank you. Just could you please make that known to me? Of course, we know that's not how life works, and we don't know everything that will, and we never will. And so it's hard to know how to plan. It's hard to know how to make decisions from where we are now to where God wants us. College student who was running into this issue, he understood this problem of not knowing how to plan. He knew it so well that he didn't plan. And so he was on break from college, and this young man's bride-to-be brought this young man home to dinner to meet the parents and uh, to have that man-to-man conversation. So after dinner, the mother told the father to find out about the young man. So, so the father brought this young man into his study for, you know, a man-to-man, father-to-future son-in-law kind of pep talk. And so he asked the question to the young man. So, if if you're going to marry my daughter, I need to know, what are your plans? Well, the young man sort of proclaimed with an air of confidence, "Sir, I am a biblical scholar." And so the father just kind of said calmly, a a biblical scholar, hmm, that's admirable, but uh, what will you do to provide a nice house for my daughter to live in? And uh, the young man said, I will study, and God will provide for us. (laughs) Uh, I see, and how will you buy her a diamond ring for her engagement like she deserves? And the young man says, I will concentrate on my studies, and God provide for us. And children, the father asked, how will you support children? Don't worry, sir, God will provide. And it goes back and forth this way a few more times. The conversation proceeded each time the father questioned, this young Bible scholar said, God will provide. Well, later that night, the mother asked the father, how'd it go, honey? How'd your conversation with him go? Well, the father shot back, he has no job, he has no plans, and he thinks I'm God. Here's the problem. Here's the problem. God has a plan. That's not the problem. We'll get to the problem. But, but the first part of this is that God has a plan. Among other things in Genesis, as we've been talking about Genesis, we've been learning that his plan is to glorify himself, to bring himself glory by redeeming people from their sin. So we know from the outside that, that God's plan is it's a big plan, and it's kind of a, a crazy plan, frankly. It's a big, crazy plan. Think about that for just a second. God has a plan to undo the power of sin in fallen humans who have rebelled against him through one holy and sinless life come down who comes from the line of that same rebellious people. Crazy plan. That is a crazy plan. One asks the question in understanding what that plan is, that is that God's undoing the power of sin in the very people who rebel against him by bringing a sinless life, his own son, from the line of those people. That's what we learn in Genesis. That's a crazy plan. How does a plan like that actually work? No one other than God comes up with a plan like that. Because no one other than God can, can carry out a plan like that. So number one, God has a plan. Number two, we were created to follow his plan for our marriage, for our family, for our work, our ministry, our friendships, for our very very lives, every part of it. So, so he has a plan. We were created to follow his plan. But the problem is, number three, as we've already intimated, we don't always know like we want to know how. We may or may not be fitting into his plans. In fact, because we struggle against sin and we know intimately, personally, the many, many ways in which we don't live up to his plan, we often feel like we're not fitting into what he's trying to do in the world. That's a problem. And that's where a lot of Christians, a lot of believers are in life. We know He has a plan. We know we're supposed to follow His plans. But we don't know exactly how we may or may not fit into His plans because A, we don't know them exactly enough. And B, we don't know how well, we do know how well we fall short of those plans because of our intimacy with our own sin. So the deeper problem is that we struggle with feeling like we don't know God's plans exactly enough for our comfort. This is the real rub. This is the real problem. It's not that God doesn't tell us what he's doing. We know plenty about where God's headed with what he's doing. The deeper problem is that we struggle with feeling like we don't know God's plans exactly enough for our comfort. And truthfully, it's not that we don't know the plan. It's not that we don't know enough about the plan. It's that we do not control the plan that makes us uncomfortable. The real problem is that we, as we learn more and more about who we are and what God's doing in the world, we realize with greater depth, we are not in control. And so, and so we end up saying to God, you know, Lord, I believe you, sure, I, I trust you with this crazy plan, but but, just to make sure, I'm going to do everything I possibly can to make sure my personal agenda, this side of heaven, takes place so that I can feel sense of control. We want to be God. We want to be in control. And and so really this is all about control. 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 When when our kids get old enough to talk and they begin to verbalize openly their rebellion, we feel like we're losing control. When our relationships with, with people around us... Us and others don't act in a way that we want or in a way that makes us feel uncomfortable when they act like that, then we begin to feel like we're losing control. When the stock market goes through a three year dip and our long term plan no longer works, we feel like we're losing control. And so we so we hit the brakes, we we take it easy, we we shrink back, we do what we can to maintain a sense of equilibrium, because we don't like to be out of control. We say, in effect, in our relationship with God, Lord, I believe you, but I really don't want to have to be changed or made uncomfortable in my walk with you, because then I feel like I've lost control. We see that kind of response in the characters of Genesis 18 through 20. We see it when they're not in control. They don't like like we don't like not being in control. And so they manipulate situations as much as possible to maintain that control. We all know people like that. Many of us are like that. One might wonder if today's sermon is autobiographical. Many of us are like that. When we see somebody who seems to have to have it a certain kind of way, we say they have control issues. We see this in Sarah. Look at Genesis 18. 9 through 15 is where we're focusing here on on Sarah. This is in Genesis 18, 9 through 15, where Sarah not only doesn't believe God's plans, she clearly and openly mocks them. It's not a good way to maintain control. Especially when it's something like this, where God has already laid out very exactly the plans he has for you, namely to bear a son. Even at the end of chapter 17, God laid out, as part of his covenant blessing, he said to Abraham, all the way back to chapter 12 and a few other points along the way, that his plan would include bearing a son. And so, verse 10, chapter 18, the Lord visits Abraham and Sarah's house for dinner. And he says, verse 10, that he will return about this time next year. And Sarah, Abraham's wife, will have a son. He says it. He lays it out. But because, number one, Sarah was post-menopausal, and number two, because tents aren't exactly good at keeping out sound, verse 12, Sarah heard this, and she laughed to herself. She, in effect, said, I'm an old, old lady. Isn't this a little late to be having kids? Uh, as if God doesn't know that. Abraham, of course, had laughed earlier in chapter 17, and now Sarah here in chapter 18. I think they had been laughing all along about God's plans for them. This isn't all of a sudden out of nowhere for her. Look at verse 14. Even though she laughed to herself... The Lord knows. The Lord hears. He understands well that Sarah is mocking his very plans. And he says, is anything is anything too hard for the Lord? Can you imagine? Openly mocking God and having him there in the presence of a man. Saying the words to you. Is anything too hard for the Lord? And so, of course, she, she shrinks back. She sense she's messed up. In verse fifteen, it says she was afraid. So we see in in Sarah this the struggle of not being in control. She even knows exactly what's supposed to happen, and so this isn't an issue of not knowing God's plan. She knows exactly what the plan is, but apparently she doesn't like it. So her impertinence, her, her disrespect showed that she was going to have to learn faithfulness to God the hard way. We see that later on in chapter 21. Even after she bears Isaac, even even after the plan has begun to, to take fruition, She's manipulating circumstances even then to her advantage, trying to control all along the way. We see this in Abraham, verses 16 through 33. Long story short here, uh, God tells Abraham exactly what he to do with the city of Sodom. His plans are to destroy the city for the wickedness of Sodom. But Abraham doesn't like those plans. He doesn't understand them and he knows that his nephew lot is there so he says to god verse 25 he says this far be it from you to do such a thing to put righteous to put the righteous to death with the wicked so that the righteous fare as the wicked far be it from you shall not the judge of all the earth do what is just can you imagine saying those words to god so so abraham and god go back and forth like this Abraham begs, if 50 righteous Lord, will you not spare it? And the Lord says, for 50 I will spare it. And then they go down to 45, and to 40, and to 30, and to 20, and to 10. And finally it turns out there are three. (laughs) There are three. And God's plan still happens despite what Abraham's impudent plea asks for. It It was a silly attempt to control God. There was no changing that plan. And so Abraham learned, as, as we often do in life, you, you don't control God's plans. We don't pray to change God's mind. We change our hearts in the process of talking to God. Prayer is about changing us to be a part of what God's already doing. We see that Lot had control issues. Genesis 19, to it's 29 a, it's a long passage there. We're just going to summarize a few things and point them out. Remember that Lot was Abraham's nephew. He had been with Abram to turn to Abraham this entire time, all the way from Ur, all the way down to Shechem and then Egypt and back to Shechem. So he had been with him this whole time, following how God's plan was laid out in the life of Abraham. But as we talked about a few weeks ago, he chose to live in the city of Sodom. He liked what it looked like. So, chapter 19, there were two angels, probably uh, the two of the three men who visited the house of Abraham and Sarah. These two men who were with the Lord in chapter 18 went to warn Lot and his family in chapter 19, that God was going to destroy the city. And so the men of the city of Sodom, they come out to Lot's house to have their way with the two angels. That's a sign of uh, Sodom's degradation, of course. And Lot can't even keep the door to his house closed. There's so much of a melee going on. So, so Lot even ridiculously attempts to control and change the plans all over the place. Look at Look at verse 10 in chapter 19 here. Having failed to persuade the mob outside his door to leave them alone, uh, the angels had to strike the mob with blindness and rescue Lot by pulling him inside. In verse 16, right after the angels had said, okay, it's, it's happening now, Lot. It's, it's the morning of the destruction. It's time to get out. It says, verse 16, that Lot lingered. It says, but he lingered. He is uh, slow to grasp the gravity of the situation. It's almost like he doesn't believe what's happening. It says the two men, the two angels, seize him and his two daughters by the hand to bring them outside of the city. And then verses 18 to 20, as they're, as they're leaving the city, verses 18 through 20, Lot says, oh no, my lords, I cannot escape to the hills. Let me escape to this little city over here. All the while... Lot, control issues, not okay with angels, <laughs> messengers from God, to tell Lot what to do. We see this with his daughters. Later on in chapter 19, in verses 30 through through 38 here, basic gist is this. Now that Lot and his two daughters are in this little city, the two daughters think to themselves, well... We're not getting any younger, and we're supposed to be fruitful and multiply. Remember, they've been a part of this family on this journey for many years. So, so they say, hey, let's, let's come up with a good plan. Let's get dad drunk and, and bear children by him. Great plan. Uh, they knowingly do something flat-out wrong in order to control God's plans. Obviously, God's brought us here and, and put us in this situation and so, so I am justified to do something sinful to accomplish his plan. Crazy to read about it here, but how often do we feel that same way about our own lives? I don't like where God's got me right here, and so I'm going to justify what I'm going to do or say because I'm going to manipulate so that I can feel comfortable because God put me here and I don't like it. The silliness of control issues just keep coming. We see this with Abraham and Sarah in chapter 20. Uh, Briefly, uh, again, Abraham, just like he did when they were in Egypt and he was scared of Pharaoh, and ultimately because he doesn't trust God to provide for him, Abraham feels the need to manipulate the situation and he says to the people there that Sarah is his sister just like he had back in Egypt. And so Abimelech the king takes Sarah into his harem. So God being gracious and, and because, and this is in all the other stories too, because will accomplish his plan with or without us, and in spite of us, God graciously tells Abimelech in a dream that he has taken Abraham's wife. And so Abimelech gives Sarah back to Abraham along with sheep and oxen, male and female servants. (laughs) It's amazing, isn't it, how often God blesses us despite us. We could have a whole different sermon in this same number of uh, passages here from 18 through 20 to talk about the ways in which God has blessed his people despite them so uh, so i just ask the question for us today seeing how the chosen people of God in Genesis have have responded to what God's called them to do and and in responded to the place where God has them do you do i have control issues for for the sake of our own comfort do we feel the need to control to manipulate circumstances in our life over time that pattern of living creates a lifestyle that majors on taking God's plans into our own hands in a way that can hinder God's work in us. 1 Thessalonians 4 3 tells us. That God's plan, God's will, it says, is sanctification. God's will for us is holiness. It's, it's the work of godly character becoming more clearly evident in our lives. That is the project to which we are called as believers. So you can, so you can take this to the bank. Simply put. A lot of us, myself included, could enjoy a lot more of life as God intended if we would more passionately pursue godly character than worldly control. We would enjoy life a lot more as God intended for us if we would more passionately pursue godly character than we would worldly control. The only part of this entire passage where we see intimate relationship with God is at the very beginning. In Genesis 18, there's a picture of... Of Abraham, sitting under the, mokes, the oaks of Mamre, it says, sitting at the door of his tent at the heat of the day, and he lifted up his eyes and looked, and three men were standing in front of them, and he recognizes that these are not ordinary men. He says, O oh Lord, if I have found favor in your sight, verse 3. That word for Lord is Adonai. It's an intimate word for Lord used in the New Testament. Abraham knew that this was the Lord and coming. To have dinner with him. And and he says, let a little water be brought. Let me wash your feet. Rest yourselves. Let me bring a morsel of bread. So that you can refresh yourselves and then pass on. as, as if. Let me just give you a little snack. But what he does is he runs, it says. And patriarchs don't run. But he runs. And it says, quickly. He went to the tent. And he says to Sarah, quick. Make some bread. And there's a picture of an intimate relationship with God. Abraham was sitting under the oaks of Mamre, which is a place where we know from chapter 13, where he's lived for a long time. He's been there for years. And and the oaks of Mamre mean that the Scripture is telling us he was sitting there by his tent, He hadn't settled down so that he wasn't ready. He was a man ready to do what God asked of him. He was a man ready to go. Remember, he had gone all the way from Ur, all the way down to Shechem, to Egypt, and back. He was ready to go and do whatever God willed for his life, whatever God's plans were for him. And so we see in this picture an openness and readiness to do what God asks Abraham is the lone exception to this. Did he struggle? Yes, we see that. He struggled. But the picture of it is the first communion. Abraham later on in Isaiah and a couple other places would be called a friend of God. Abraham didn't feel the need to manipulate and to control. Just sitting under the hoax in the heat of the day, waiting for God to tell me what to do. Simply put, a lot of us could enjoy a lot more of life as God intended if we would more passionately pursue godly character than worldly control. If if we, as God's called chosen people, would take a smidge of the effort we take to manipulate our lives in worldly fleshly terms and direct that at pursuit of godly character then we would see the work of God in our lives Christ himself said come to me in Matthew 11 you who are weary heavy laden I will give you that kind of rest. That that, that kind of godly character development through the Holy Spirit in our lives is available to us because of the cross. And so we invite you today as a part of what we do in worship to continue to maintain and develop that relationship with Him so that you don't have to feel the need to manipulate and control And that relationship with Jesus Christ that develops in us the character and goodness of God will be the place where we know and experience rest. Father in heaven, it is indeed something we major in, making sure that we are comfortable, in control. Maintaining equilibrium. Because, Lord, we we buck up against what you want to do with our lives. We've seen in, in, in the scriptures today that, that we're not alone in this, Father. And, and so we come to you now asking that you would uh, forgive us for our impertinence for the ways in which we we mock what you want to do with us, the ways in which we look at you and we raise our fists in the air and we say, Lord, where you've got me now, it doesn't feel good and I don't like it. Father, forgive us for that kind of self-centered view of our lives and plans. And redeem us because of your work on the cross. Teach us through your word. Empower us through your spirit. Equip us because of our involvement in the body. So the way you have us, Lord, would be exactly where we should be. People passionately pursuing character. Qualities of love and mercy and faith and joy. Father, make of us a people like that. So that we would glorify you by our lives. And that would be enough for us. We ask this, Lord, in the name of your son, Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen.